Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. podcast and i'd like to welcome my good friend rod i think i can hopefully call him my good friend rod by now <laughs> you should uh, be able to yes yeah welcome to the podcast rod we've been doing this now for nearly two years can you believe wild wild podcast is two years old now not quite but it's it's little you know it's not far off oh well congratulations to us and uh, a happy birthday to the podcast then. yeah Yes, I'm sure we'll have a proper celebration when it comes around. I'm imagining, though, that around the same sort of time, there will be a lot of other podcasts celebrating two years because of how many people started podcasts in lockdown. <laughs> okay, very, uh, <laughs> very good point. You're right. Yeah. So just before we hit record, Rod and I were just uh, celebrating slash lamenting all the great stuff that's been announced in the last few weeks uh, for the Black Friday sales. And, of course, we're looking primarily at um, uh, pretty much mainly just looking at Severin uh, at what they've been announcing in the last few days um, I mean there's a couple of pretty obvious candidates for me but was there anything there for you Rod where you thought oh no now I'm going to have to buy that oh well the most obvious one is um, they somehow thank goodness got their hands on Dario Argento's Four Flies on Grey Velvet which is something that uh, has eluded the Blu-ray community collecting community in this in the united states anyway for yeah uh ever and uh, i think i think it's great that uh, as typical as is typical with uh, films that people are waiting for years to reach a certain uh format a friend of mine did finally purchase i think the german blu-ray recently just i mean within the past few weeks and of course, oh, as soon as he does this, that of course you know the the bell yeah. gets rung. So good for him for no, suffering I, for the rest yeah. of us. I don't know the history behind this film at all because people talk about it being a lost film, which I don't quite understand because I've had it on Blu-ray for years. Where, where, okay, and where's maybe, your Blu-ray from? I got the Shameless release okay. that yeah, probably came yeah, out yeah. came out over here about ten years ago. 
but I don't know if there's something wrong with that one or if the quality is not good. I mean, I watched it and I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. But um, I know people talk about this being the lost, the lost film. So I don't know whether it's because the negative was lost or the rights were in limbo. Or I don't know what exactly has been the issue around this one. You know, but I'm, I'm assuming I've forgotten. I think that yeah. at some point it was actually something to do with uh, a rights issue. I think. Mm. But I could I'm be sure wrong. We'll find out. I don't. I'll be honest. I've, I I used to know, and now I do not. But uh, yeah. yeah, I'm sure it'll be all over Troy's commentary. Well, I'm sure I'm it'll sure actually be it in the uh, <laughs> in in almost anyone's commentary around the the, yeah. the release of it on Blu-ray. Anybody with yeah. the knowledge, simply because this was a this was a real surprise. I mean, yeah. they're also releasing his uh, non-horror or thriller film Five Days in Milan, yes. which Five Days, yeah, I would like to see it one day. I don't know that I necessarily need to spend an outrageous sum of money to to see it, but yeah. Yes, because it's oh, the both of these. Obviously, Severin now are doing every pretty much well, not everything, but a lot of their stuff is getting 4K releases. And Severin, a few years ago, Severin bought their own 4K scanner, and um, rather than paying other people to do their scans, mm-hmm. so now if Severin can get their hands on stuff, they're very often scanning it themselves. And I think that shows in the number of releases they're suddenly managing to restore although i would imagine perhaps with these italian ones they've probably been scanned in europe but uh but anyway yes they are hot on the 4k and to have not one but two kind of lost films of argento's um i mean I, i'm a little i would have preferred perhaps a 4k three disc edition of dracula that would have been nice which Dracula are you talking about? <laughs> Argento's Dracula. Ah, would you now? Yes, I think you, yeah. you may be one of the a very <laughs> a very small percentage of yeah. uh, film lovers who would go along with that desire. But, I know. Okay. I still haven't. I, I still haven't seen that, and it doesn't. It's quite hard to get hold of on Blu-ray. I would like to watch. But anyway, oh, well, so yeah, so Severin. Oh, go on. Oh, I was about to say they're also releasing Axiom Mutante. The uh, the. Uh, uh, yes, Alex, Alex De La Iglesias film, which I think is, I mean, it's just an amazing film if you've never seen it. Yeah, no, I don't. I'm not familiar with his stuff oh, at all, but I know that you're going to enjoy that all one. Over it. Trust me, it's. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that you go out of your way to spend the money to go ahead and get this Blu-ray, but if you can track down a way to see that particular film, yeah. uh, believe me, it is well worth your time. Yeah so yeah and then another surprise announcement that really caught me and it was very well timed for our podcast is they're going to release Luigi Cozzi's Blood on Melier's Moon yeah which was only I think it was a 2016 film and I remember when I uh, the first time I managed to get to the Profondo Rosso shop when it was actually open because they're only open like three hours a day and the first time I went to Rome I never managed to get there when it was open so a year later I went back and he wasn't around and it's because he was off filming this movie <laughs> so uh, it'd be nice to actually see it I know he was selling it on DVD in his shop the last time I was there but um, I didn't I didn't buy a copy and now I'm glad I didn't because it's getting a proper English friendly release mm-hmm. um, and it's a very it's a it's a kind of um, I'm trying to think of a film to compare it to my understanding of it is that he's playing himself and he's filmed quite a lot of it in his own shop. <laughs> so <laughs> really, okay, well, um, yeah, a lot of it. If you look at the poster, and I think even the the, the cover, 
it's got the Profundo Rosso store on the cover. Oh, it does, doesn't it? And, wow. Okay. Yeah. And it's kind of like, um, you know, these films like Nicolas Cage has just done one and Jean-Claude Van Damme did one where they play versions of themselves, mm -hmm. but then they have some kind of crazy adventure. I think it's basically like that. It's like Luigi Cozzi uncovers some kind of mystery involving Melies and, yeah, like uh, reality and fantasy blur around the edges and but i mean he's been he's been busy because he's made at least two more films since that one actually well I, what, what's great is apparently that severin uh if you, the, the the blood on melee's moon blu-ray also is going to include his 2018 film uh the little wizards of oz there you go yes so that's another one that that's that, yes. that was made in 2018 and so yeah there's also a documentary I, about uh, Luigi Cozzi. Well, this is the one. Yes, this is the reason for me more than the films. Actually, <laughs> the reason to buy it is to get Fantasticozzi, the the documentary from Brazil. Hmm. From I think again, it's about five years old. Um, there's no, I have not found an English friendly copy of this documentary online. Um, it was released. It was on Luigi Cozzi's uh, special edition of Star Crash. Has this on it. And when I bought the, I bought it from him in his shop like three, four years ago when I was there, and he told me that the extras all had English subtitles. So I was excited, and I got it home and I put it in. None of the extras had English subtitles. <laughs> um, so I've had this, I've had Fantastic Cozzi, but can't really watch it because my Italian is not anywhere near good enough. So yes, I'm excited to finally get to see this feature-length documentary about Luigi Cozzi. I think it'll be really fun to see that so so yeah it's a and it's also i think severina put it on their intervision um kind of imprint which i think means it's a bit cheaper than some of their other big box sets it's like slightly oh i didn't cheaper yeah. packaging or something but yeah i think they've done it as an intervision one i didn't check which the they price. used to yeah. they used to save intervision is it's like their their old straight to video stuff and they're slightly weirder things so um but yeah it's exciting so i i i'm gonna get that one at least and uh and maybe if we get it in time if we get it in time we could talk about that film as well on here or at least i'd least like to be able to watch it before we interview luigi Cozzi and talk to him about that but yeah severin really uh once again uh making us all cry when we think of our wallets <laughs> but at the same time very grateful that somebody is actually taking the care to find the films that people like us want to see. Well, so it's an the other exciting time. big release that they're they're doing, uh, attempting to wring every nickel from me that they possibly can, <laughs> is uh, mm -hmm. the Devil's Game, the uh, the uh, Italian television uh, six uh, six, oh. uh, six one hour long films, a little yes. anthology series that I came out that in one. eighty one, which comprises. Uh, well, you know, the big news is that it, it actually has the very the very last work done by Mario Bava. Uh, which is I, very yeah, exciting. That's it's amazing. Um, they yeah, I, I'd forgotten about that one, but you're right. That's possibly the most significant out of all those releases in terms of sort of film history. Uh, to be able to complete, I mean, I, well, I say complete. There's probably at least one or two Barber films that we still don't have, but yeah, certainly stuff like that. There's, I know there was another TV thing he did in the '60s. It was part of an anthology show about uh, mythology, I want to say. Hmm. I can't remember what it was called. 
and I know that one's quite hard to get hold of but the fact that this has come out it always gives you hope doesn't it when you see stuff yes, like this exactly. it immediately makes you think oh what about this what about this I mean it makes me it makes me want to petition Severin to put out um, Antonio Margariti's uh, Treasure Island in outer space. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, would yes. If we're going to start digging yeah, into yeah. into Italian television if, presentations, yeah, man, that is like a... if they can if they could do this, they could because presumably it was with Rai because everything mm-hmm. is with Rai. Yeah, they, it was it and was they, a Rai. Yeah, it was a Rai yeah. TV. Presentation. So if they've got if they've got Rai connections, I mean that is a bottomless well of excitement. And we should tell oh, we should tell people what that meant. R A I is what yeah. we're saying. It's a uh, it's, yeah, Rai TV. Yeah, it's like the state. It's the state broadcaster in Italy, like the BBC. Yeah, and I don't know if you have an equivalent in America. We're not talking about someone who's just subsisting simply on a, <laughs> a, a, a bottle of booze a day or something. No. Yes. Uh, the, Although, the the thing <laughs> is, uh, what I would love, and this is just me shouting to the to the stars and hoping for the best, but not just uh, Treasure Island in space, but the full length version of You're the Hunter from the Future would be a dream come true. Uh, But uh, to be honest, when I start talking about uh, Mario Bava and the things that, uh, you know, aren't particularly available or easily available, I'm still stunned to this day that there hasn't been, uh, I mean, it has to be some kind of money issue, but there hasn't been a release of the, of the, of the, uh, the two Steve Reeves Hercules movies, um, which just stuns me yeah. because that's the th- those are the that's films that point. kicked off the the entire peplum cycle, and Mario Bava yeah. was heavily involved in both of those films, and it's it's, yeah. it's it's a clear way to make just boatloads of cash. And I know, yeah, if you really flag up um, the Bava connection, and and uh, I mean even at the time, although he's not very well remembered now, the director of those films is it um, Cotafavi? Is that his name? I, don't, I, I honestly can't um, remember. I'm I think... sorry. He he was very highly regarded throughout Europe at the time as a kind of artist and craftsman in much the same way that we now think of Bava at the time. He was thought of as the great sort of artist of popular cinema at the time. So, But I think it's because his name has perhaps fallen out of favour and most people, because Bava's name isn't on the poster, they maybe that's why it's not attracted attention. But absolutely, the Hercules films belong back in the canon and back out there on people's shelves. Oh, definitely. They. I, that's why I'm always. I mean, I'm stunned. We're in you know 2022. We're what more than a, a decade or we're a decade or more into the uh, the high definition disc wave yeah. of, of releases, and that still hasn't made its way to us. Yeah. I'm just really surprised. It has to have something to do with either or both uh, a, a a quality of of materials issue. Or a uh, a pricing issue for whoever holds the the rights. And I think, so. I mean, my my under my my kind of reading of it is that there's just not the same level of cult demand for peplum films. But those um, two movies, I mean, Italian horror. I mean, I know those are the I those mean, yes. those are the biggies. Everybody <laughs> knows them who knows yeah. anything at all about those kinds of movies. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, there were only uh, I, when I did my PhD, I wrote about these films a lot. And at the time, I think in the 60s, there were only two. Um, it, oh, let me get this right. There were only two non-English and non-Hollywood movies that were in the top 10 of the UK box office in the whole of the 60s. I think that's I think that's right. One of them was Hercules Unchained and the other one was The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Those two films made the top 10 box office during the 60s. 
and they were the only kind of non even though they would have been released with english dubs but they were the only non british slash hollywood film so they yeah i mean those films were massive but i just think now if you're a cult blu-ray label you're going to stick out some more old horror or you know because the the sort of demand i guess they feel just the demand isn't there i know a while ago kino i've probably mentioned this on the podcast before kino announced like two years ago or more that they were going to put out goliath uh and the vampires oh um which is a great uh one of the few x-rated um peplum films and it's great it's a fabulous film and barva was involved with that as well and his dad mm-hmm. i think because his dad was a sculptor um but that blu-ray is kind of announced and then vanished and yeah i don't even remember yeah, it being know. announced just, but I mean, yeah i was excited because i is another one that i'd covered and i'd written about so i was really excited that somebody was going to put out a decent copy but no that disappeared i just i don't know there doesn't seem to be the appetite for it which there should be and i think with the right marketing you could big it up and say these films are important oh i Um, I agree they because they are it's not like we're you know it's not like we're stepping out on a limb to make these kinds of you know bold statements about films that are not uh particularly well thought of in certain circles no that's that's not it at all these movies are are major stepping stones in in hugely profitable cycles of entire genres and the fact that they're, you know, like I say, I there, it's not, it cannot be that there's that there's someone out there who, who is honestly in this business and, and is turning up their nose at it. It has to be yeah. a, a question of money or materials. That's the only thing that yeah. makes any sense to me because man, those movies were huge. And regardless of whether you know you, the, any of the um, the peplums that followed in their 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 wake would make you know would sell x number of copies or whatever you know what whatever it would take to to make it an enticing thing for a label to to bring out those movies mm. those movies would would sell <laughs> i mean they yeah. they're uh of, of historical significance especially if the, they made a, a big push a big you know made, made a splash to make sure that people were aware of them as they were putting them out because it's just they're they're big yeah I know we should probably be talking about this stuff next week because we're actually going to do some Hercules films. Oh, that's right. Week. I'm 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 kind of excited. Yeah, you're right. We're a week ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just I'll just I mean again I don't know. I keep repeating myself. I might have said this before as well. But a few years ago, Arrow were interested in possibly putting together a Peplum box set, and um, they asked me for some advice on cult, like Peplum films with cult appeal, because obviously that's the hook. And so I recommended um, the Vampires one. And obviously the two first two Hercules films, and also the um, Ruggiero Deodato, uh, Margariti, Peplum film Hercules, Prisoner of Evil. Mm-hmm. Like you could, if you get it right, you could pitch these, and cult fans would go for it. But uh, but anyway, such is sadly not the case. But still, this is <laughs> this is the problem when you get companies announce stuff, and you can always see this in the comments on Facebook. But whenever Severin's announce some amazing long lost title you look at the comments below and within about five minutes oh what about this film what about this film what about this film? <laughs> <laughs> well i mean it's kind it's of you natural. can't you can't help yeah. it yeah you can't help it can you yeah there's 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 no way to avoid that i mean <laughs> that you know look, look what look what conversation this is fueled just between the two of us talking about these things and then yeah. you know spread that yeah. spread that out to you know thousands and thousands of other people know, and it just yeah. gets out sort of, of control it must be it must be annoying if you're severing or somebody like that and you've announced this thing and then people are immediately asking you 
for other things. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like what have you done? For, what have you done? What have you done for me in a year? Is essentially what it sounds like. You know, <laughs> yeah. exactly. What have the Romans ever done for us? <laughs> um, but yes. Anyway, Severin have got some exciting stuff coming up. If you've got a load of money ready, and I haven't seen anything from Vinegar Syndrome. I don't know. Well, oh, they're they putting some stuff anything. out. I can't remember. Uh, I don't know if there's anything relevant for us, really, that in terms of like cult Italian. No, I don't stuff. think so. I don't think there is, which is kind of a relief because I don't think I can afford to do both companies this year. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, having just spent uh, a ridiculously stupid amount of money on um, the Bollywood box set that uh, that Mondo released oh, on that- Halloween. Is that out already? I missed. Oh that. well, the the, the pre the pre orders out. I mean, you, you could you can go still get it from them, but it won't come out. Oh. It won't actually hit uh, anybody okay. anybody's doorstep Ooh, I, until the first of. Uh, I wanted to get that one. That's, that's another one to add to my. Oh yeah, I'm very list. excited. Anyway, about that. yeah, yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> uh, so many films, so little time. Um, I like to think of uh, you know. I think I think it was Vince. Uh, who used to say on on the B movie cast that uh, you couldn't die until you'd watched every film in your collection? Oh, then Which, I'll I know, live forever. Sadly, yeah, sadly, didn't quite turn out to be the case for for lovely events. But yeah, uh, there's so. still hope. There's still hope. Um, which I guess let's move on to our topic for today. And I think one of the first times I became aware of you, Rod, was through your. Um, voicemails and letters to vince's podcast oh well yeah uh, i guess the the b movie cast brought a lot of us people from around the world together in different ways and one of the first letters i remember him or maybe it was a voicemail you left oh, it's definitely a but voicemail it was some, trust me yeah it was a voicemail but and it was like a it was like a joke i think it was a joke some kind of comedy spat between you and Derek cook <laughs> about god about godzilla films yes yes and it, this went on for a number of weeks <laughs> sort of back and forth on the B-movie cast about Godzilla films. So I think that's an excellent sort of jumping off point for our conversation today, um, where we're going to talk about Luigi Cozzi's potentially ill-advised updating of Godzilla. Before we get into that, I wanted to ask you, if you want to, without taking up the next two or three hours, if you want to just tell us a little bit about your affection for or your your sort of history with Godzilla. Oh, well, I mean, I don't, I think I went through uh, what I would refer to as the the standard uh, child of my generation's, you know, love and loss and love again uh, relationship with, with the Godzilla films and the character himself. And by that, I refer to, um, I think, you know, when you're a kid and you're growing up in, you know, in the 60s, 70s or 80s, there's a 
there's a love that you have as a youngster that kind of parallels, uh, especially little boys' love of dinosaurs. It kind of they go hand in hand in a way that uh, you know. I wonder if the the Toho Meisters actually foresaw, or was it just a bit of genius uh, accidental on their part? But the um, the standard way in which these things go is you. And, it, and this is how it went for me: is you, you're you're a kid, you love this stuff, you really get into it, you, you're 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 you support it and love it in a way that completely blinds you to flaws or concerns or strangeness or how odd this stuff is. It's you love it the same way you love the fact that the Easter Bunny exists. You're just glad it's there and hallelujah, who this is fun. And then you become an adult and you think, ah, I shall cast away childish things. And you, you turn, you turn your nose up and you sneer at such, you sneer at such cinematic silliness and you move forward into the world as a start, start watching Ingmar Bergman. Exactly. You you start talking about the great (laughs) films from Japan and they revolve around Kurosawa and all these other, Mm. you know, you, you see floating weeds and you think, ah, yes. Classic Japanese cinema. That's that's what it is. Wonderful, you know, heartfelt, I've, well acted dramas. Yeah. I've never watched any of those. <laughs> I, I I think I think I missed out this phase, Rod. I just I well, see that's just straight. It. You, I skipped straight from childhood into back into the stuff. Well, see that's very just little it. Gap in between. Um, I think that uh, many things have altered this phase now, and I don't know that it still exists. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of t- I'm kind of talking about a, a, a form of uh, Godzilla fandom that you know may be in the archives now. I'm not sure, but the um, the, the the moment somewhere in my twenties when I realized that not watching Godzilla films and not enjoying these kinds of things was really freaking stupid, and I just and I don't yeah. know exactly what it was, but um, I shifted back into. You know, you don't. You, you know, the world can't tell me what's good and what's bad. And I'll watch. You know, I'll watch an Akira Kurosawa film right next to a Godzilla movie, and I won't care. It won't be any. It won't be any concern to me. I'll yeah. watch the, the 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 fantastic, and the uh, the the realistic right next to each other, and I don't care. And of course, well, and of course. Oh well, no, go well, on. You're probably going to say the same point as. Oh me. well, yeah, and of course, all of this points to uh, around the period of time where uh, it becomes easier to see the original film, the 1954 mm. film, the original Gojira, the the Jap- the un-Americanized version of the film, and you realize that it was a very realistic film as far as portraying the human yeah. beings on screen. It was a very serious film. It wasn't meant to be it's childish very or down silly. Beat. Yes. Yeah. It's a dark, it's quite depressing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a dark film and it, it, uh, I mean, not to spoil a film that is, you know, <laughs> extraordinarily old at this point, but I mean, the, the, the film's, uh, hero is a scientist, you know, big points there who, sacrifices his own life to destroy to destroy this monster and and save his nation he's a hero who gives his life for his country and for the people that he loves and Mm. that's the end of the film that's that's the that's the the upshot of that movie and uh if you know having been someone who grew up on the americanized version it was a bit of a shock to realize that you know perry mason wasn't really in it and to, to know that uh, there was a, a version of this film out there that really kind of signaled 
uh, how the changes in the series as it went along came about. And it's like, oh, wow, we really, st- yeah. you know, you really start off with an ex- not just an extremely high point, but also where you're dealing with filmmakers who are making a serious movie. Not that it isn't entertaining. It's incredibly entertaining. I mean, you don't make yeah. a film that spawns decades of sequels of every type. Well, and, and, and invents a whole genre, really, doesn't it? There's a whole exactly. genre they invented. Exactly. I mean... I suppose it's partly the move to colour as well that sort of signalled a slightly different... Uh, you know, a shift in emphasis was when they became colourful, they become much more about entertainment, I think. Maybe so. Maybe right. so. With, with Godzilla, Godzilla versus King Kong. But that doesn't, the that doesn't gonna... stop the the uh, filmmakers as they went along, especially, well, I mean, throughout the, the Toho run of those Godzilla films is almost every one of those films is going to have some kind of uh, what should be uh, <laughs> what should be an under layer, what should be subtext that mm. uh, that sometimes just becomes text because they're just going to well, say yes. it out loud because they want to make sure you know the smog monster my, film I think, is a big yeah a big... that's my that's the one I was going to say that's one of my favorites is that um, Godzilla versus is it Hedera Hedera yeah yeah the smog monster I love that oh, film. it's a great film I think it's fab yeah that the uh, yeah like you said the subtext is just the text yeah <laughs> but on the on top of that you've got all the groovy dancing in the sort of sixties theme nightclubs and oh, Godzilla can fly. Of the strange, oh, yeah, just, the, the strange colors and the, the yeah, yeah, it's it's, just, it's it's an amazing film and and what's great is that um, the series went on for especially even though even that initial run the Showa series the 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 ones that span from fifty four to I think mm-hmm. seventy five, you can look at those those films and there's so much weird variety in the uh, yeah. in the films and that's without even talking about the the offshoot films like uh, the first Mothra. And more of the gargantuas, and you know all these, mm-hmm. you know all the other kaiju films that Toho was making that didn't necessarily directly connect yeah. to Godzilla. Well, and then people like Toei getting into that stuff, yeah. and you know Ultraman, and just just so much of so much men in suit action. Um, I was going to make the point as well in regards to what you were saying about you know respectability. The um, the world catches up with you eventually because all the Godzilla films of this period are Criterion films now, you know. So yeah, they, they, yeah, they're they're taking these films seriously and they're not just silly uh, entertainment, although they are that as well. A lot of them, but uh, but yeah, the first film. What I think is interesting, so we'll, we'll get into the the backstory of what this how this connects to Luigi Cozzi, but yeah, the the message is very uh, ob- you know they they really state it in the film that. Godzilla was was brought to the surface because, through repeated nuclear testing, and this was a criticism of the American government basically because it was the Americans doing the nuclear testing in the Pacific, yeah. and this had caused problems in real life. There'd been a fishing vessel that had been affected by um, one of the things like a Bikini Atoll test, uh, which is how they then start the original Godzilla is with a fishing vessel getting affected by something nuclear, something radiated coming out of the sea. And so, like like you said, it's not even subtext. And, and that one of the scientists, what is he? He's an anthropologist and he wants to study Godzilla and understand how he wasn't killed by the radiation. And he says, when they kill Godzilla, he says there will be more because, you know, we do more nuclear testing in the ocean. This is what's going to happen. So it's very kind of ecologically minded. They talk about Godzilla's natural habitat being destroyed and that's what's brought him to the surface. And so it's it's almost like a... You know, it's like an environmental film, and it's a 
very critical of the well, nuclear in general, but also the specifically what the Americans were doing. Um, and that's really interesting. That's all happening less than 10 years after the end of the, the Second World War and obviously with everything that happened there. Um, and it's got sort of shades of the destruction of parts of Japan, uh, you know, Hiroshima and all those kind of things. Um, but then what I find interesting with Luigi Cozzi's version is that in case that stuff wasn't obvious enough, he puts in real footage yes. of real uh, Hiroshima and war. And yeah. So should we get to the story of, yeah, what's this all got to do with Luigi Cozzi? Yeah, I think that uh, um, that's probably a good idea because uh, yeah, I'm sure there are people who honestly, this will be their introduction <laughs> to the fact that this exists yeah. at all. Yeah, what are they? They're listening to the wrong podcast. What suddenly happened? So Cozzi... <laughs> Cozzi was always a fan of sci-fi and fantasy. That was his his first love. And he'd made a few films. So we talked about um, The Killer Must Kill Again. And then he made uh, a sex comedy as well. And then he made a film which I also haven't seen called The Last Concert, also known as Stella. Yeah. Starring Richard Johnson. Have you, have you seen that one? No, but it's one that I want to see. Mm. I, I'm yeah. very curious he, about it. He, he talks about that being his favourite of all of his films, actually. Like it's or he thinks it's his best of his films. Yeah, I need to see that one. But it was a big hit. And so he teamed up with a friend called Renato Barbieri, who was also a sci-fi fan. And they founded what they called the BBC, which is in the credits of this Godzilla. And I found that very confusing. It was like, <laughs> the BBC? But it's not that BBC. They they <laughs> they formed a company called the BBC. And I it doesn't say in the book, I'm using the, the book about Kotze, called Written and Directed by Lewis Coates. And it just calls it the BBC. I'm assuming that one of those Bs is for Barbieri and the C must be for Cozzi, but I don't know what the other B is for. But anyway, they formed this company with the idea of preserving and releasing uh, classic sci-fi. So through that company, uh, let's see, I've got a list here of the films that he released. So he released in Italian cinemas films like Silent Running, uh, Lord of the Flies, Cat People, The Day of the Triffids, Invaders from Mars, uh, Radar Men from the Moon, um, Quatermass Experiment, Destination Moon. So a whole load of those. And um, so I think Godzilla kind of is one of those. He tried to get the rights. Uh, I read somewhere that originally he wanted to do Gorgo, the uh, British kind of Godzilla type film, but he couldn't get the rights for that. But he contacted Toho and they gave him the rights to distribute Godzilla in Italy. Mm. But they gave him the American King of the Monsters version, which was 80 minutes long. And in Italy, you had to have a, your film had to be a minimum of 90 minutes long to be shown in cinemas. So that was his first problem. And then when he tried it out with cinema owners, they didn't want to show a film that was in black and white. Yeah, so not, got this not problem. in the 70s, yeah. No, so he'd got two problems. He'd got a film that was too short and it was in black and white. But he, he'd paid $7,000 apparently to Toho, uh, which was a lot of money in those days. So he, he wanted to do something with it. He needed to get the film out there. And so that was where he came up with a plan, kind of two plans. Uh, one was to do some editing with this version, but the other one was to colorize it. And uh, yeah, yeah. When you say colorize, uh, we should probably mention that uh, you're you're putting air quotes around that word. So. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so he met this guy. What was his name? 
Armando Valcauda, whose name might sound familiar, and that's because he did a lot of the special effects for Star Crash. Yeah. So he met this guy in Turin, and this guy was an artist and filmmaker and had some ideas, and he said he could colorize it. And Luigi said, I read somewhere, it took him about three months. He spent three months working on this film to to create basically it's like three strips of color that change through the movie it's not colorized like you know they haven't painted every frame no uh like again going back to georges melies which is what he would do like it's kind of funny that the color in melies trip to the moon is better than the color in this <laughs> that's 70 years oh, later I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it in those terms but yeah you're you're right you know, if you look at the if you if you find the colorized version of, of Trip to the Moon, it's a, it's fabulous because it's all hand painted, whereas this it's like been dipped in some kind of psychedelic dye. Um, but the idea was that it would fit with what was on the screen, which is why I guess it took him so long. Yeah. The only place for me where the the colorization worked is when there is fire. I don't know what you thought. Yeah, that's, fight, that's when, true. That's true. I can see what you're... Yeah, yeah you're, you're he's, not wrong. he's coloured that bit of the screen orange. <laughs> so that kind of works. But for the rest of the time, it's just weird colours all over oh, the, the rest of the time, it don't... feels like someone has, has popped, you know, some kind of psychedelic yeah. drug into your tea, man. It's just weird. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like the sort of psychedelic light shows of the, the 60s, the sort of acid-inspired oil uh, slide shows and stuff. But on a film uh, yeah. although in in luigi's book there's an interview with him and he mentions it and he says godzilla is the world's first colorized film no which again maybe given that Mel- given so. that melies given that melies was doing it i don't maybe the world's first film colorized like this <laughs> or colorized but, by people who had nothing to do with the production that might be yeah, part. Maybe. maybe that's a way to phrase it. I don't know. But it's not. I mean, I wouldn't really call it colorized. Like back in the eighties, people they were doing colorized versions of Laurel and Hardy films, and they didn't look great, but they still looked better than this. <laughs> well, it took it took a long time for people to get the the colorization process into a place yeah. where it wasn't uh, immediately vomit inducing. No. And um, and he they they called it Spectorama seventy. Which means Which that they, it sounds uh, more impressive than it is. Yeah, they put it on the poster. The, actually, one of the best things about this release is the poster. Oh, the poster! They did a brand amazing. new. Yeah, they did a brand new poster, um, and it looks great. And it does say Spectorama seventy mm-hmm. on it. In fact, that poster image, which I'll tweet out at some point, was on the very first cover of Fangoria. So uh, that's its legacy, I guess. <laughs> Is it Fangoria used it on their Godzilla issue, which was the first ever issue? So that's worth noting. But yeah, so so it's got this Spectorama seventy look to it. But that wasn't the only thing. Let's not forget, he still had to fill it with an extra ten minutes of stuff. Right. Um, so were you able to spot the joins <laughs> when you watched it? <laughs> no, it was it was seamless, it's, Adrian. I couldn't yeah. tell. I couldn't tell. It, it was. It felt so natural. No, of course I could yeah. spot the joints. My God. So, yeah. I mean, do you want to scry? Can you describe what some of the stuff was that he put in? Uh, well, the there are a number of things. Uh, all all of them. Some of them you can understand. Uh, he's looking for, you know, for for certain sequences in the film, he's looking for footage that can can marry together, almost match 
some of this stuff that uh, goes down once the uh, once the city destruction starts happening. So he apparently he t- he, st- he stole he stole footage from films like The Day the Earth Caught Fire uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, and even from uh, Godzilla Raids again apparently, and kind of wedged yeah. them in there to kind of lengthen the film out a little bit. But the most yeah. the most uh, do I do I want to use the word questionable or do I want to use yeah, the word? It's certainly jarring, is a word I would use as well. Yeah, is his use of uh, stock newsreel footage, stock real footage from the uh, the atomic attacks on Hiroshima and Nagasaki that are yeah. um, don't get me wrong, they do serve a good purpose in getting uh you know kind of kind of hammering that that nail home about what drove the filmmakers in japan to create yeah. this picture it, it, it's it's not even hammering it's like bludgeoning yeah yeah it is, <laughs> it is it, it, it's it's it, it feels like the the mistake of a young man thinking that you know what if, it, I, yeah. if i hit you really 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 hard to remember it instead of it just being something that you go that's a moron doing this to me, isn't it? This yeah. takes me so far well, out of the picture that I, I can't get back into it. Sometimes um, you hear Luigi Cozzi being described as the Italian Ed Wood, which I don't know if that's like meant affectionately or as an insult. But I, this, I, I wouldn't agree with that, but I can see the no, point. No, well, I, I wouldn't. But what I thought of was that bit in the movie of Ed Wood when he's in the, like, he's in the studio and he's looking at somebody who's got all this stock footage that they're running through yeah and he's like oh if i had access to all this i could just make i'd cut it together and make a movie and it's what this feels like it's like at times he's just kind of cut all this stuff together to make a movie without any real thought of whether it was appropriate or not but it's not even like he warms you up to it i think the film starts with it with it which is really weird and then it come it cuts in and out through the movie Mm -hmm. but and there's like this sort of footage of of so there's people there's destruction there's dead bodies uh there's like battle footage or footage after a battle there's soldiers dead bodies lying all over the streets i swear i saw one corpse without a head and like this this is you know this is a film that children were probably going to in the cinema (laughs) and he's got all this with this like grim footage but then still with all this psychedelic color all over the top the thought that floated through my mind was you know, a child, go, a child in Italy goes to see a, a giant lizard rampage film yeah. and ends up accidentally seeing Cronenberg's The Fly. It's just like, what what are we doing here? <laughs> I know. They're like crying as they come out of the cinema and they don't quite know why they're crying. Um, but another thing that's interesting with this is he, because primarily he's using the American print and the score that came with that, but he did also get some additional music to help. Yeah cover cover the gaps uh part of which was provided by a band called uh, magnetic system mm-hmm. which is a f- i think they were just made up for this one thing i think so as well but in interestingly one member of magnetic system and i will be dropping the song in in fact let's do it now i'm going to play it now
And in case it sounds familiar, that's because one member of the band was Fabio Fritzi. Yeah. And this is only about two years before his iconic score for Zombie Flesh Eaters. So and you may have noticed kind of some similarities there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, in an interview I saw with him where he talked about how he created the drum, the sort of bass drum beat for that Zombie Flesh Eater score. And he basically just did it by tapping a microphone. And it, it, felt, it sounds like that in this one as well. So I don't know if that's... But but yeah, so that music plays over this horrendous, like disturbing footage of Hiroshima. And it's and right then I at think the beginning of the film. It's right yeah. at the beginning. Which, I mean, and that's <laughs> the thing. I, I don't know how many times I've watched... Drac- I mean, I don't know how many times I've watched various films over the years. I just, you know, you lose track as you, as you go along. Yeah. But I know I've seen the original Godzilla a dozen times at bare minimum and to have this version of it crank up with an extraordinarily modern synth score over you know film footage of atrocities is yeah. is very <laughs> disturbing it's it's, a, it's it's unexpected and the, the, yeah. the thing is oh, oh and uh, psych wait a minute psychedelic footage yes, of atrocities yes yes <laughs> well the thing and the thing is if if i were going to praise nothing else in this movie uh, i would I would say that I actually do like the, the the new music that that's in it, although I do not know that it is necessarily appropriate for this picture. I do like the music, and we should point out that Vince Tempura uh, or Tempera, oh yes, is, yeah. is another one of the the trio who was part of this yes this musical uh, group that came together to create this music for this, and he's a name that pops up again and again for me because he. Um, he did uh, he did scores for some films that I'm very fond of, like uh, Lucio Fulci's For the Apocalypse, and uh, okay. uh, also uh, Silver Saddle, the uh, the uh, Lucio Fulci western, um, right. and even some of his later stuff. Although I don't know, I, I know that some of his his, his theme for uh, Seven uh, Seven Notes in Black got recycled by uh, Quentin Tarantino in, in the first Kill Bill film. And so he's, oh, he, yeah, is, okay. he, is, he is a talent of, of real note. Mm. But uh, the, the music, uh, I, I, I would like to set that to the side and say, you know, I'm, I'm, I like that. I do like that. So. Yeah. Well, it was released as a, there was a seven-inch single mm-hmm. at the time, which is now highly collectible if you can find it. Yeah, save yourself some um, trouble, people. You can hear the music online. The, you don't have to, you don't the, have to spend a ton yeah. of money. The um, so Kotzi also um, he wanted to do something like Sensuround, which was the you know the, the sort of rumbling bass thing that made people's teeth fall out and felt <laughs> ill when they were watching films like Earthquake. You know, you hear all these horror stories about people watching Earthquake and having their insides shaken to bits. And he wanted to do something similar, but he couldn't do that and he couldn't afford it. Um, and he because obviously he couldn't install special equipment or anything, so basically, so he William he, Castle, if you look at yeah if you look at the credits he's got something he says it's in future sound <laughs> and i think that's basically just a high bass basically the bass is quite high in the mix so i imagine he just got them to turn it up in the theaters and the bass pummeled them a little bit as the buildings are crashing down and the godzilla you know roars and all that sort of stuff but yeah so he's got so, so he's got future sound and uh what did i say the thing was spectrorama 70 but yeah, you're right. It's basically just William Castling it, just making up names of formats that don't exist but sound good. Yes, exactly. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm I'm all for it. But it is those are the kinds of of stunts that 
would get you um, would get you kind of laughed at by uh, by other filmmakers and film producers who you know look upon that as you know uh, the, the the kind of the kind of thing from a bygone age. I mean, yeah, you're, we're referencing the yeah. stuff that big studios did with films like Earthquake, which were you know relatively recently. I mean, they were only a few years before this, so they were still there was still the occasional bizarre thing of that type, and oh, yeah. and honestly, we weren't. You know, we were only a few years away from Hollywood deciding that it was a good idea to bring 3D back and see how that worked out yeah. in the early 80s. Uh, hey, little hint, it didn't. Yeah. Little hint, it didn't no. work out. Uh, <laughs> but the, uh, I mean, this the the visuals of this film, it kind of looks like you could probably stick 3D glasses on and it might do something. You know, maybe. It's all the sort of yeah. green, fuzzy colors. <laughs> so, uh, Rod, what did the uh, the Japanese think of this film when they saw, when they saw what he'd done? And I should add, it was a big hit. Actually, he did. He, he made his money back and made a profit in yeah, Italy. Yeah, he, he made his. Um, ca- he's made. He made some cash. So and there's a great. There's a great photo, which I shall try and remember to tweet out as well, in the in this book, of a big uh, front of a cinema uh, somewhere in Italy, 1977, that says Godzilla on the marquee, and it's actually got his name on it as well. It says Luigi Cozzi presents Godzilla. So he was managing to get his name out there. This is around, this is 1977, so that's the same year as Star Crash. And so he's becoming known as a director and now as a, as a distributor. So he's got his name on the front. So he did all right with it in Italy. But uh, but yeah, what did Toho think when they saw what he'd done? They clapped their hands. They were filled with joy. I'm yeah, lying. They loved it. They, they were they like, despised yes. It. <laughs> while, the, while apparently they had signed a contract with Kazi that allowed him to do what he wanted to. And therefore there's not much they could say about, you know, what he had done to their movie. Um, they, they squashed this pretty hard. Uh, They, they, they tried to get it deleted from reality to a certain degree. Uh, you're, you're, you're not allowed to mention the film in, uh, any of the, the Toho approved, uh, stuff that references Godzilla or any of the films. Uh, I mean, from what I've read, and this this does not surprise me, that references to it were taken out of the Blu-ray commentary for the Criterion release of the the original Godzilla <laughs> a, a few years back. Which, I, wow, you know, yeah. if, if we're going to go I that far, <laughs> I haven't listened to that, but I'm imagining just they're just talking, and then suddenly just bird song kicks in. Well, see, that's for that, about two I, I have listened to that commentary track, but it was back when the that oh, Blu-ray right. first came out, and you know, everybody was yeah. I was so it was so wonderful to have a high definition version of the original uh, Gojira. And uh, I have, I have listened to commentary tracks from that, from that set. And it's just, there's, there's this realization now that's like, Oh wow. So some of those yeah. silent spots, maybe, maybe weren't necessarily <laughs> something that the, that uh, I, I think August Ragone is one of the ones who was involved in that. I just, like, maybe not have been planned. Okay. Uh, it's a shame, but yeah, they, um, they sort of squat. I think they had hopes that if this had worked, it would be an opportunity for them to, you know, to, to sort of release it in other territories uh, and make some money. Because obviously, as well as we've mentioned the music, we've mentioned the image, but he did also dub it. So it's a new Italian dub as well. Which, you know, would have uh, been so, necessary. I mean, that's that's yeah. that's the way of things in the 1970s. So you've, of got, you've got Raymond, Raymond Burr speaking Italian now. Um, do you think you, you'll know the Raymond Burr version better than me because that's the version I guess you grew up watching? Well, do you think it's all? Is it all there? Like, has he taken any of that stuff out, or do you think it's pretty much all left in? That is a fantastic question. I'll be honest with you. I have not. I have not watched the 
American version of Godzilla in a very long time. I mean, I do have it as part of the, you know, kind of the Godzilla collection. I do have access to it, but I'll be honest, anytime I feel the need to go back and watch that first film, I always (laughs) default to the original version. So it has been a long time. The last time I probably watched it was on, was on videotape to be blunt, which means it was a long time ago. It's really funny how, they've cut together scenes where he's having a conversation with two of the Japanese characters. Yeah. And and you're just seeing them with just the backs of their heads and he's talking to them. That made me laugh a lot. It's it's kind of uh, it's kind of clever that they got away with it. But I guess it got away with it. Yeah. yeah. I mean for, for for 1956 they did they, they, these are the kind of slick tricks that were pretty common in yeah. in Hollywood at the time anyway when you know scheduling difficulties made it impossible to get you know, certain sure. actors on on the same sound stage, sound stage at the same time, but the uh, yeah. the uh, the let's, let's put it this way: the American version of the film is a perfectly acceptable, perfectly acceptable way to see the story. It just isn't the film as originally intended. Mm-hmm. And in all honesty, there's there's no reason to have an American journalist character, you know, <laughs> popping up to go, oh my goodness, and you know, just reporting back to America about all the, the yeah. horrors that are occurring. It's just like it, it, it my feeling now my feeling now is that if I went back and watched it I would feel like it was getting in the way. There is a connection here as well back to where we started with um Hercules Unchained because um Godzilla was picked up for international distribution by Joseph E. Levine, and it was him that turned it into Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Oh, yeah. He made he made all his money from Godzilla, and then that sort of pushed him to go and find other films from that he could buy cheaply and then exploit. And so that's why in 1959 he he came back to America with um, you know, with a can under his arm with Hercules Unchained, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and he you know he dubbed it and. He spent millions on the on the marketing, pushed it really hard, and the same here in the UK made it a massive hit. So, um, but although I think with that one he didn't change anything except the the soundtrack. He didn't, I guess, he didn't feel the need to put. So it would have been quite funny actually, wouldn't it? If you're watching Her- Hercules Unchained and Raymond Burr turns up in the middle, <laughs> <laughs> they would have to and they would have to colorize yeah. the footage somehow. Yeah, and, yeah. but uh, but no, he didn't feel the need to to to. to film anything extra actually one thing i noticed in the credits for our for our godzilla we're talking about today is that it mentions you know it mentions two directors it mentions the japanese original director then you've got the um so that was ishiro honda then it's, it mentions terry morse as well who filmed the um king of the monster segments and then it says like new footage luigi kotsi but as far as i could tell there was no new footage so i don't know what that referred to as far as i can tell it's all just the existing footage plus all those extra bits that we've talked about already. Yeah, it didn't look to me like there was anything new. Yeah, I didn't. I'm not said, aware of it. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't know. But it says in the credits, new new footage. We should point out so. that um, probably the reason that I mean, besides just being a fan of, of Godzilla movies, that that Kotsi may have thought that this was going to be a great success, and it, you know, he did mm-hmm. he did make money. Don't get me wrong. Was yeah. because remember just the year before 1976 the the big De Laurentiis remake of King Kong had come out, and yes. uh, regardless of of your opinions of it, it did make money uh, and it was a uh-huh. huge hit and it was a worldwide success to a degree. And so there's a there's a you know I, what I love is that uh, for the, for everyone who's thinking my God what a weird thing to do in 1977 yeah. 
I mean, the year Star Wars came out, someone is colorizing and bastardizing the original Gojira and putting it yeah, out in Italian I, theaters. And it's like, yes, you have to, you know, you need a wide, you need kind of a, a little wider view on what was going on in cinemas at the time. And, it, yeah. Yeah, it does make you wonder why he didn't just try and buy the rights to a more recent Godzilla film that was already in color. But I guess, I guess he didn't realize it was going to be a problem until after he bought this one. So it's like he was kind of he was saving a bad situation. He'd already spent the money, and then found out that it needed to be in color. And then found out if that it needed to be ten minutes yeah, longer. Maybe yeah. I don't know. Although of course some of those other films that he was distributing were black and white as well, and he didn't colorize those. So I don't. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. We can ask him. We'll ask him. Uh, <laughs> so uh yeah so although it was squashed and it, it will never have an official release yes. it is out there uh there are very poor quality copies on youtube i managed to find a slightly better version than the one that's on youtube using your uh, what you call the special antenna yes um so it is it's watchable the version that i found it's better than the youtube one but obviously, it's the best we're going to get. They're never going to go back to the negative and say, "Here's yeah, that would be." We imagine that next Black Friday, Sever and say, "And here's Luigi Godzi's Godzilla." That would uh, in a three disc, four K special edition. Yeah, yeah that's never going to happen. That, that's not going to happen. Um, yeah. But it's it's worth if you're curious. I would I mean with all these things, it's worth checking it out uh, because there's nothing else quite like it, for better or worse, really. Um, it's it's, it's unique. Interesting... Let's let's put it that way. Yeah. It's certainly a unique bit of Godzilla cinema history. It is, and it's good. It's interesting. It's a good way of sort of getting your head around Kotzi's career and what he was doing and what he was interested in. Um, and this is you know this was part of his side project, if you like, of, of distributing old films because he basically just loved them. You know, he made this for all its faults. He made it out of love. So. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. this is a, and, and I'm not <laughs> using this word I'm about to use as a pejorative. So so this is not this is not meant as an insult. This is one of the most obvious fanboy projects I can imagine. This yeah. is someone who got the chance to bring something he loves to a mass audience in his home country, yeah. and he did the things that he felt he needed to do to create to create something that would not you know would not just be, make money but also I'm, I'm sure he felt you know actually brought the thing that he loved to a wider audience and that is admirable in a in a in a in a, in a, in a cockeyed way you have to be impressed no matter how <laughs> how psychotic yeah. the the viewing experience is these days it's it's a it's a it's a strange little Oh man, what what it's it, it's it's a strange little cul-de-sac in the history of Godzilla cinema, and it is, yeah. uh, you know, rightfully difficult to find. Uh, I mean, you, I mean, it, it exists on you know inter the Internet Archive. You can find it there. You can find it in various old places. It's never going to look good, as we spoke about a second ago. Yeah. But the 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 strange nature of it. I look upon this the existence of it as evidence of just how pervasive the love of kaiju film is it's 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 mm. such a joy that it can cause people to make gargantuan gargantuan artistic mistakes <laughs> this is evidence of that it, yes it, it wasn't you know the, the first time the first time someone you know made a humongous era was not 1998 in america friends it was uh you know 
It was it was this, which I have a lot more respect for, to be honest with you, because at yeah. least it does demonstrate a real love for the actual films themselves. Absolutely. And Luigi's love of genre is uh, is evident through all his films, as we've obviously mentioned. And next time we'll be looking at the his Hercules films back to back, one and two. I think two is quite a lot of it is made up from footage he shot during one anyway so it's basically all just one big film so um yeah so that's what we're going to cover next time and then we have decided we discussed this off air that we're going to throw in the black cat as well yeah his 1989 um, film with caroline yeah, Monroe. so and uh, that'll now. that'll be on the on the cards as well and then we will finally at some point get to our uh, get to talk to him um, all being well but anyway thank you so much rod it's been interesting to talk about this weird experiment um with you and uh, i hope this has been interesting for everybody we uh are online we're on twitter we're on uh instagram and you can email us as well all the links are in the show notes or um you can find them on our acast page if you just google wild wild podcast you'll find us and um Oh yeah, we have had somebody uh, recently bought us a coffee, so thank oh. you very much. If you would also like to do that, then uh, again, the link for that is in the notes, or just go to uh, ko-fi.com and then find Wild Wild Podcast on there. If you'd like to make a contribution and help us to uh, keep things going, uh, maybe we can. you can help us to invest in our own future sound for uh, for our next episodes. Or whatever I don't know. Anyway, uh, but yes, please do get in touch with us uh, and, and uh, let us know what you think. Um, all the links and all the addresses are in the usual places. And I'm just going around in circles now, so I think I'll stop. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Rod. And um, we will be back after Black Friday with uh, no money in our pockets. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah <laughs> okay thanks everybody and we'll be back again soon bye 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 all Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey. It's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.